You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me today for a different day of the week than he normally does is my longtime co-host Curtis. As we told you guys on Sunday's recap episode, Curtis made a trip to Talladega on Sunday for a race that ultimately did not end up happening. So we had to call an audible, switch things up a little bit. So we kind of just flipped him and Charlie this week. So Charlie joined me on the recap episode on Sunday, which was a very new experience. We had fun with that. And Curtis is joining me today for our weekly mailbag episode. And as usual, we've got a ton of great questions to run through. And we're actually running this show a day later than we normally do. So we were able to give you guys a little bit more time to get these questions in. So we'll try to get to as many of them as we possibly can. But first, I do want to make sure to tell all of you that if you are looking to make a trip to Athens for any reason, it could be a football weekend, just visiting friends, coming to a concert, a getaway weekend with your spouse, or just a chance to relive the glory days one more time, book the Normal Town Cottage on Airbnb for a convenient in-town location while you enjoy all the classic city has to offer. As a local Athenian myself, guys, I can tell you, Normal Town is the premier neighborhood in Athens. It's not even close to me, to be honest with you. It has its own very cool, awesome vibe, has its own bars and restaurants, and it's just down the road from downtown Athens. And the Normal Town Cottage also offers free parking on a tree-lined in-town neighborhood street. It's quiet, it's convenient, it's safe, it's clean. It really is the perfect place to stay in Athens. And guys, seriously, I I told you last week, don't take my word for it. Check out all the reviews on Airbnb. They're absolutely glowing. It'll give you an even better idea of why the Normal Town Cottage is 100% the place to stay in Athens. All you have to do is go to Normal Town Cottage on Instagram, or if it's easier, you can just click the link pinned to our Twitter profile to reserve your dates. Don't wait. Book today. And also, one more thing, real quickly, guys. I just want to give a couple shout-outs here. It's been a, a week or two since we've done this. We've had a couple new reviews pour in here over the past week or two. And so I want to give a big shout-out, a big thank you to Hannah HJC, to RMC Lucas, MWS Dog, and Stephen Orr. I think also All Dog as well. I don't think I gave him a shout-out either. Thank you all so much for taking the time to not only rate our show, but also 
type a few nice words and give us a rating as well. That is a huge help, guys, as we try to get more and more new listeners and continue to grow this show throughout this 2021 college football season. We really are, guys. I promise you. We just, we're blown away by the support that we get. Are we the biggest podcast out there? Absolutely not. We never will be. And we're totally cool with that. But all of you listeners that we do have, your loyalty, your support, it's, it's just humbling. It really is. And, and we just can never thank you guys enough for that. So thank you all who have rated and reviewed the podcast recently. And thank you to all of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast at some point in the past. It's, it doesn't matter when it happened. It's all a massive help. So thank you all for that. And I guess this would also be the time to let you guys know that this past month, the month of September 2021, is the best month, the single best month that the Glory UGA podcast has had in our now seven-year history. And again, that's all because of you guys. That's all because of you guys supporting us, your loyalty, coming in, listening to us, spreading the word, all the things that you guys do to help us out. And again, we're not the biggest podcast, we never will be, but we're growing. And we just really, really do appreciate everything you guys do to help make all that possible. All right, Curtis, we've got a nice mix of questions today. I like the mix we've got, but I do want to make sure we get to as many of them as we can in the short window of time that we have to record today. So let's go ahead and dive right in. And question one comes from Alex. We really appreciate this question, Alex. This is one I think we can really dive into, Curtis. And I, I don't think it's outlandish. I really don't. Some people might say it's a little out there. I don't think it's crazy. What Alex is asking, Curtis, is – actually, it's a two-part question. Number one, is this the best Georgia defense ever? And then second part, where does it rank all time? Two different questions there, Curtis. Let's say the first part first. Is this the best Georgia defense ever? I think it is, especially from what I've seen. You go back um, – you think the best defense I've probably seen with, or that I've seen until now was 2012, but they didn't really do much until like the Florida game is when they really turned it on and started playing better because they had suspensions and everything. You know, here a lot of people talk about how this is like the first time back shutting out back-to-back opponents since like what 1980, I think I may have heard. Yep. Um, but the fact is, like realistically, you haven't seen a dominant defense up until this point now. I would like to see it, you know, go the whole season. But so far from what I've seen, I definitely would say it's the best Georgia defense I've ever seen. Yeah, and that's the thing is that that I've ever seen, right? Because we, you and I, I mean, we're not old timers yet. I'm getting up there, but we're not old timers yet. So I wasn't around for the 80s. I'm, I'm not, guys, I know the stories of the 1980, 1981 defenses. I mean, I know we all think of Herschel Walker with the, with the early 80s, as we should. But those teams, if you go back and look at the numbers, again, I wasn't alive to watch those games. If you go back and look at the numbers, you study the history there, those teams were led by defenses. A lot of you guys who've been around a little bit longer, you can probably verify that. So those defenses would, would certainly be up there. But if you're looking at statistically, uh, you mentioned 2012, Curtis. I mean, that, that was a really good defense back in 2012. I think we gave I think we gave like 350 yards a game or so, I mean, like top 30-ish. I think 2019, we were really, really good. I think we gave like 275 yards a game. Last year, we were really, really good before all the injuries. So the best that I mean, you can go back to the early 2000s. I guess the 2002 defense was was good. 2004 was good. Obviously, those Pollock defenses, some of those guys that, that played in the league forever, the Thomas Davis, the Greg Blues, some of those guys. But for me, honestly, and this, I'm going to have to say exactly what you said, Curtis. For me, in terms of the defenses that I have seen at the University of Georgia in my 35 years on this earth, this is the best that I have seen. I think the next best is probably 2019. You can call that recency bias if you want, but I mean, just look at the numbers. I think, I mean, right now, guys, 
I know it's only a small sample size, but it's getting bigger by the week. Right now we're through five games, 180.6 yards per game allowed, 3.4 yards per play, 70.6 yards allowed on the ground, 110 passing yards allowed per game, 4.6 points allowed per game, two shutouts, two conference shots. You mentioned, Curtis, in those back-to-back, those consecutive conference shutouts, the, that's the last the last time it happened was 1980. And as Charlie said yesterday, we all know what happened in 1980. So to me, yes, this is the best Georgia defense. Now, I, I will ask you this, Curtis. Has this defense really been tested yet to this point? It's really hard to say that they have. I don't think that you've seen someone more balanced yet that was going one way or the other. Now, Arkansas was closest to it. But, I mean, the thing is, realistically, I don't know if you'll see it because the fact, like Kirby says – and his philosophy is he likes to play people, play, you know, make them play with one hand behind their back. And that's kind of what he did against Arkansas because their strength was a running attack, which opened up the passing attack, and he took that away completely. And that's one of the things that I was talking about earlier this week, or it's on a recap episode. I know you weren't able to make it for that one. But, like, to me, if I look at the schedule the rest of the way, and I would, I would certainly probably answer that question and say we haven't really been – challenge in, in a big way i think arkansas you're right is probably the biggest challenge we've had clemson we thought was gonna be the biggest challenge but we kind of seen they involved the face of the earth offensively right now they're a mess so i don't know if that was really that big of a challenge and obviously uab is not a dynamic offense south carolina is not great offensively right now so i think it's fair to say that we haven't been challenged but it's not just the fact that we haven't been playing great teams okay so yeah that's that's fair okay you can say that i get it i think arkansas is a good team are they a legit top 10 team probably not good offense not a great offense but, Curtis, despite all of that, it's how we've been beating these teams, right? I know they haven't been great offenses. I understand that. I will allow that argument. But even though they're not great, we're just absolutely demoralizing them. I mean, does that make sense, Curtis, to the idea that those defenses haven't done what this defense has been doing, even to bad offenses? I agree because, like, when you think about it, you can go back to that Vanderbilt win. Like, all around, the thing was, like, oh, yeah, you should beat Vanderbilt. And we have beat Vanderbilt a lot in the past, but we never have beaten them in such a dominating performance from start to finish with the whole team. And that's what you're seeing with the defense. Like, yes, they're doing what they should against these low, you know, lower opponents, but they're not taking any plays off. And I think that's the biggest thing. Sometimes you see mental, mental mistakes and certain things against some of these not top teams, but you're not seeing that. That game against Vanderbilt could have been 72 hours long, and they still wouldn't have scored. They just weren't going to score on our defense. It just simply wasn't going to happen. And I know Vanderbilt is very, very, very bad. Okay, they're terrible. I understand that. But again, like I just said, like you were saying there, Curtis, we have played against bad teams in the past before, but our defenses haven't dominated our opponents, bad offense or not, the way that we're dominating right now. I mean, it's like teams don't even have a chance to score. And we will play better offenses down the road. However, what I will say is that we – We'll play better offenses, but most of those offenses, Curtis, as far as I'm concerned, they their strengths match with our strength, right? You look at Kentucky. You look at Florida. Look at Auburn this week. Those three teams, the rest of October, it's a tough stretch, but what do all three of those offenses do best? They run the football. What do we do best yeah. defensively? Clearly, we stopped the run. There are maybe still some questions in the secondary. We haven't faced a team that can really threaten us vertically down the field. But, Curtis, are we going to face a team like that the rest of this season, at least in the regular season? Not until the championship, I mean, right. if we make it there. And, and maybe that, yeah, and knock on wood, we got to make it there. But it, maybe when we get there, like, that's a problem, that we, the fact that we haven't been challenged through the air like that. If we get to play Bama or whoever it might be, and probably Bama at this point in the SEC title game, 
maybe that that it should be a concern. But right now, like you look at the schedule the rest of the way, at least for the regular season, and I just don't see a team. I'm not saying there's not good offenses. Florida, I mean, we know Dan Mullen's a great offensive coach. I give him a hard time, but he's a great offensive coach. But again, what they do this year really, really, really does not match up well with what we do well on defense. And so I think that's a problem for a lot of these teams on our schedule. So I just – honestly, I, I'm not going to sit here and say at the end of the year we're only going to give up 180 points, 180 yards per game and only 4.6 points per game. That would, be the, that would definitely be the greatest defense of all time, and it wouldn't even be close. Teams are going to be able to move the ball a little bit better on us than, than these teams the first couple of weeks have. But I just don't see any team being able to, like, just slice up and dice up our defense. I just don't see that happening. All right, well, let's move on to the next part of this, Curtis. So you and I both are in agreement, at least as far as we have seen, this is the best Georgia defense ever in our eyes. But a bigger question, I guess, where does it rank all time? Again, it's hard because we haven't seen all the defenses ever. I know Bama has some great defenses back in the 70s. I understand that. But based off what you've seen, Curtis, in your lifetime of watching college football, where would you rank this Georgia defense right now? At this point in time, I say top five. And the reason I say that, like, I don't think they're as high as some of those top Bama teams. I think it was 2011. Um, or maybe mm-hmm. – I think it was 11 when they beat LSU in the championship. Um we're nowhere near that defense as good as our front seven is there. They had an amazing front seven, had really good linebackers, but the big difference was in the defensive backfield. Yeah. We have good players, but they, a lot of some of those teams had like experience, true shutdown difference makers. And I think that's the biggest thing holding our defense back. And you've mentioned that like we haven't even been tested, so we don't know if we'll hold up back there. And I think that's why I would say maybe top five, but nowhere else because of, I think just the difference in defensive backfield. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that 2011 Bama team. That's the first one that comes to mind for me. Again, I'm thinking about, like, in my lifetime, great college football defenses that I've seen. I mean, seen. you also got to think of LSU teams because, you know, back under Les Miles, that's really what all they had was defense, and they always had fast, big people. Yeah, they were really good. I don't know if I would put them at, like, the best defense I've seen. I think the 2011, the 2011 Bama defense is probably the best that I've seen. 2009 Bama was really good, too. That was the Terrence Cody uh, Rolando McLean, Mark Barron, Javier Arena, Scream Jackson, those guys. 2011 Bama, just, just to take you guys down memory lane, it's Hightower, Barron was still on the team, Courtney Upshaw, uh, I think C.J. Mosley was on that team. And you mentioned the back, the defense of back, of course, that's where it was different. Robert Lester, Dre Kirkpatrick, those kind of guys in secondary. I think, honestly, our front seven is better than the 2011 Bama front seven. I will go that far. I will say that. Yeah, the I secondary, agree. I just, like I said, I think the difference is the secondary. Yeah, secondary is – and, like, let, let's read off some of these numbers from that 2011 Bama defense. 183 yards allowed per game, 3.3 yards per play. That's essentially what we're doing right now. So if we stay on track with what we're doing right now, we could challenge that defense. But we're only through five games. We have better offenses – the better offense that we'll face throughout the season further ahead. Um, we're going to up 70.6 yards per game on the ground. They give us 72.2 on the ground per game for the entire year. We're going to up 110 – uh, through the air right now per game. They give 111.5 through the air uh, each game and uh, throughout the entire season. They give 8.2 points per game, and they had three shutouts on the year. So, like, we are right in line right now. We're on the trajectory to match that or maybe even surpass it. But, again, very small sample size. Now, if we if we revisit this question down the road at the end of the year and we're still sitting there, under, give them under 200 yards a game, under you know like around 3.5 yards per play, which is extraordinarily elite, guys. And that's what I'm looking at more than is yards per play, especially now with, with in the age of tempo. Then we can kind of revisit and have that conversation. But right now, I we, we got to do it for more than just like half of a season, right? Uh, but here, let me this at you though, Curtis. 2011, 2021. There's a decade difference there. Think about 
all the advancements and the innovations we have seen offensively between 2011 and 2021. We are defending a different game right now. Football is a very different game than it was 10 years ago. Do you factor that into the equation at all? I think you have to, um, especially when you play these top teams that have all the speed and things. I think it, that's why I don't think realistically, I don't, I'm not, I'm trying not to look at statistics as much as I am just what you saw out there because the statistics are going to change by the way the offenses and everything changes, like the penalties that are being called, all those things change. So I kind of look at just the way the defense dominates. Yeah, it's really hard to compare eras. And it's hard to call it an era. It's only 10 years ago, but we kind of are in a different offensive era. So like stats can only tell you so much because the eras were just different. But if you look at the, the era we're in right now offensively with the proliferation of spread offenses, now it's not just like one or two teams in your league that are running spread offenses. Just about everybody is running some version of it. You get RPOs, you've got tempo, not just like you know, not just like Auburn running tempo. You have Everybody running tempo, not just Oregon. Everybody's running tempo. You have all the rules changes, like you mentioned, with targeting. It's just a different game. Defenses, I think it's harder to – actually, I don't even think it's a question. It's harder to play defense right now than it was in 2011. It, it, to me, it's just that simple. So I think you have to factor that in right now. Even if we at the end of the season we might not end up with quite as good numbers as that 2011 Bama defense, if we're like anywhere in the ballpark – I think you can at least make an argument that we're right up there. Like we're right there with them neck and neck. If you consider the context and how offenses have changed and what we're forced to do defensively over the past 10 years. I think that has to factor in as well. But right now, until we see it throughout maybe a full season, I'm going to go with 2011 Bama, but I will reserve judgment and say that we have a chance to surpass that or certainly match that. I can't say we have done through five games yet, especially considering the level of competition. But I think there's a possibility. The way we're dominating teams right now, the way we're just taking their souls, I think there's certainly a possibility that could end up being the case later on uh, down the road. But Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, Curtis, enough with that one. That's a great question. Let's go ahead and move on to another one here. This is from Mean Machine. Obviously, with these mailbags, I don't think we've gone through a mailbag episode without like multiple questions about the quarterback position all season long. And this episode is going to be no different. So, Mean Machine's going to start us off with the quarterback questions. And he asks, Why can't people see the value of Stetson Bennett, even though he's proven his worth repeatedly? Would we have had success in the run game like we did without the threat of his mobility on Saturday? So, Curtis, I think that's a fair question. Why don't more people see the value of Stetson Bennett? 
I think it's because the narrative that always gets pushed with him. The fact is, I love that we have Stetson as a backup. But it's every time you play him, it starts the whole quarterback controversy thing. And I think, and that's what annoys me the most is you can't allow the kid to have his moment in these things without starting and pushing a narrative, which I think is not healthy for the team nor the fan base because then it makes you pick between one player or the other. And we're not allowed to actually just enjoy what we're seeing at the moment. And, and I think that's what frustrates me the most. I mean, it, it, it's off. I mean, in my opinion, it's obvious JT's QB number one. And healthy, he's yes. not healthy. Yeah, he's not healthy at the moment. And so Stetson steps in, and he's, uh, you know, admirable, and he does everything we want him to. It's just a, like you see it in the media and all these announcers, and it's just – it really – it makes you have to be hard on the guy, but it's because you have to be realistic. And at the same time, like, you have to have those conversations because the narrative is being pushed, and then you have to address it. Well, is he better than JT? And then you have to be hard and be like, listen, he's just – he has all these deficiencies. Like you saw it against Arkansas. Realistically, we didn't throw much after he almost threw that pick to Bowers. Um, we kind of took the ball out of, out of his hands for the most part after that game because we were like, we're not going to lose it in the passing game. And yes, he helped in the run game, but realistically, if you had watched, Ar- Arkansas was susceptible to the run the way they drop all those people. And if you played a team that had a big, big O line and had some guys that could get on the edge like we do, they were susceptible to it. Now, did it help? Maybe it did because of the numbers. But realistically, I think even with JT, it would have helped because the fact is they would have still had to watch out for the pass even more because I don't know if they would have taken the ball out of his hands. Yeah, I, I do think it's – everything you said I agree with, Curtis. And to get to Mean Machine's the, – the second part of his question here, like would we have had success in a game like we did without the threat of his mobility? Yes, I think we still would have had success even if JT was out there because that's what Arkansas gave us. That's what I told you guys on the preview shows, that we had to run the football. That had to be the game plan. That's what we had to do. They were not going to give us anything vertically. And then played right into their hands the week before and got beat. And got beat pretty handily, you know, in that game. I know they tried to make a little comeback there late, but they were never really a threat to win that football game. We had to run the football. And Stetson's mobility certainly did help. I think it was the first Zeus touchdown run. I believe it was that one. where, Or maybe it was the Kendall Milton run. But it, he carried – Stetson did carry out his fake on that play. You guys go back and I think and it was it. the Zeus. I think it was the Zeus one. It was clear Milton got it because we cleared. Yeah, the yeah that's house. right. Yeah, I think it was the first Zeus touchdown. Yeah, so it was the touchdown that put us up 7 nothing. If you watch that play, there was really probably one guy that could have made the play. I think it was number 21 if I remember watching it correctly. I can't remember who that guy was, but he was. I think he was a DB. But regardless, he was number 21. And Stetson carried out the play fake, did a very good job of carrying out the play fake as if he was going to like run a zone read. And that held that defender who could have potentially made the play in the hole. Maybe Zeus would run him over. I don't know, but he had a chance to make the play. But he hesitated ever so slight because he had to account for Stetson in the run game, which opened up for Zeus to almost just walk in the end zone there. So that certainly did help. That certainly contributed to Zeus being able to score. But it's, we also can't sit here and say that Zeus would not be able to score regardless of whether Stetson was in there or not. And I, I think we still would have had a, a large amount of success, a significant amount of success running the football against that Arkansas team because we just mauled them up front. Stetson certainly helped, but I don't think that was a deciding factor there. Um, but to get to the first part of the question, why can't people see the value of Stetson Bennett? I think, Curtis, it comes down to this. I think people like to be right. You know, you mentioned narratives, and there's this narrative out there. People in the fan base, people in the national media, whoever, like we all make up our minds. We all subscribe to some sort of notion, some sort of narrative. And a lot of people in our fan base have made up their minds that, well, you know what? We couldn't win big with him last year. The, the Alabama game happened. That was evidence that he, we can win a lot of games with him, but we can't beat the best teams. And until he beats someone that those people perceive as, quote, unquote, big, they're just not going to change their minds. And honestly, even if he did beat an Alabama or Florida or whoever, I think those people still probably do mental gymnastics to, to find a way to discount it. 
But this is, and that's okay. If you don't think that Stetson gives us the best chance to win, that's a fair opinion. I mean, Curtis, I think it's pretty clear, right, that our ceiling is higher with J.D. Daniels. Would you agree with me there? No question. I mean, like yeah. you, you kind of heard Herb Street say it. Like Stetson's good, and he's good until he's not. Yeah, when, what I said earlier in the week is like, hey, Stetson, like if Stetson was better than JT, then JT wouldn't be our starter, right? He wouldn't have been our starter, our, our unquestioned starter coming into the year. So we know that JT Daniels gives us a better chance to win. But I think two things can be true. I think the same, you can say on one hand, JT gives us a better chance to win. Our ceiling as an offense is higher with JT. I think that's true. But you can also say, you know what? Stetson is a really good quarterback. He does a really good job for us when he comes in. We appreciate the guy. We value the guy. We're incredibly lucky to have him. What I don't like, what frustrates me is the venom that gets spewed at our own players by people in our fan base. That's what bothers me. Just because you don't think he's as good as JT, which I agree with, doesn't mean that you've got to tear him down and make him seem like he's an absolute bum. Because that's not true. Stetson Bennett is not a bum. Stetson Bennett is a good quarterback. Is he a true SEC starter for a, a national championship contending team? No, I don't think so. JT's our guy if he's healthy. But I just, you know what I'm saying, Chris? I don't like that we just just eat alive our own. And I'm not saying everybody, but there, there are some in our fan base. You guys well, know this. There are well, some that's that like, that's why I, that's why That's why I made the disclaimer. Like, I hate sometimes when I'm like, you have to point out all his deficiencies. And, and that's only because we're like, we're, you know, over here talking about it. And, and I feel bad enough doing that because he does have so many good things and you love cheering for him. He's like the epitome of someone you want to cheer for with everything he's done. And, and I hate even having to do that. But like when you're having these just constructive conversations, you have to. But you do see in the fan base where people are just and, and, and it's not and that's not even part of narrative either. It's just the vitriol you see out of people in general when it's not their it's a social media agent part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just the more with social media. It's just the idea of I mean, well, because sports have always been different from everything, because a lot of people in general aren't like if you don't agree, there's gonna be some anger in there. But sports has, has always been the difference, and now you're kind of seeing it in sports where if you don't like their quarterback or if he's not the guy, then you just you're just done with him. Yeah, and that's what it's come down to. And I just I don't like that. I mean, people are, are allowed to think whatever they want to think. I but I just personally don't like it. I don't like that you say, okay, you know what? I think JT's better. I wish JT was our starter. Yeah, guys, so do I. But it doesn't mean that Stetson sucks. It doesn't mean that Stetson's a bum. It doesn't mean that yeah. we can just crap all over Stetson Bennett just because we don't feel like he's as good as JT Bennett. And it kind of happened. With I mean, it's Jake just Bond like you would agree, but not like Stetson. I don't think. Yeah. Well, it's just like you and I were talking, like, were we thrilled Stetson was our starter and that JT couldn't go? No, we weren't thrilled before the game. Um, realistically, because like we said, we, you know, we're being realistic. That, that JT probably is, I'm not gonna say probably, but he is the better quarterback and things like that. Yes, but is. it doesn't mean that we have to sit there and just do nothing but chop him down. Yeah, th- exactly. And that's my problem. Like, like, you know what? It's not his fault that JT's hurt. All Stetson's going there and doing is doing everything he possibly can to help us win football games. And I just don't like people in our own fan base tearing him down constantly. It's okay to, like you said, be objective and say, you know what? I think JT's better. Point out some deficiencies. That's okay. That's fair. That's okay. But just – it almost like it seems like it gets personal sometimes. And I just – I don't personally like that so much. But all right, we've got a lot of questions to get to, Curtis. I uh, know that was a juicy one, but let's keep going here. Uh, another question about Stetson. This is from Wit. Uh, Wit guys uh, runs a podcast around the keg, so you guys check that out. It's a great podcast. Uh, but Wit asks, if you were Kirby, would you 
be playing Stetson Bennett as much as he has been with JT's injuries. I understand the game against a top eight team. You want a guy with experience, but personally, I'd rather see us getting Beck or Vandegrift ready just in case we never get JT back to 100% because I don't see us beating Alabama and winning it all with Stetson at the helm. That's a very interesting question, Curtis. I think it's a fair point, a fair question to ask. So what is your take there? Well, I already mentioned, you know, I mentioned, I was kind of harped on it a lot last week that I was really upset with the way we handled the quarterback rotation against Vanderbilt in general, the, of the fact of being like, we didn't get Beck enough throwing attempts. Um, and I, I think that was that. one thing that really bothered me about that game. Um, and see, I'd, maybe Beck could make some splashes happen if we came to the big game, but I just don't know at this point in time if him or Vandergrift have the ceiling enough to beat them to where they could probably make some flashes happen, but they could also make picks happen, which is also the case with Stetson. Like, he, I mean, you saw almost their pick against Arkansas. Through, he's thrown two uh, picks against South Carolina and Vandy, both really bad teams. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to really say because they do probably have a better, higher ceiling, but they also have the lower bottom at this point in time. But it, at the same time, that's not going to change if you don't get them reps. Here's what I would say. Do I think that Carson Beck and Brock Vandergrift have, have higher ceilings since that's a minute? Yeah, I do. And I know we haven't seen a ton of them, you know, at the college level, but based off what I have seen of them, what I know of them, I do think they have higher ceilings. But here's what I would say with I get where you're going with this. If we get those guys ready, maybe at the end of the year, we're playing at a higher level. But the thing is, we got to get there first, right, Curtis? Like, yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing. That's, sure? that's why you saw um, Beck didn't do well that first time they were kind of wanting to rotate quarterbacks against UAB. And mm-hmm. they kind of waited till they had a better lead before they brought Beck back in. And that's because they didn't want him to start pressing. And against South Carolina, Stetson made the mistake and he was, they stuck with JT. But instead of doing that rotation that they were thinking about doing, because you have to put yourself in a position to win. I mean, I, I've always, you know, that's one thing um, my dad actually taught me going forward. You know, a lot of people try to plan for the future. Instead of you don't get to the future if you don't take care of what's in front of you now. Absolutely, hundred percent, and that's kind of where I am. Is like, look, could we have beaten Arkansas with anyone at quarterback? Yeah, you could have put my old thirty-five year old butt out there, and we would have won it. Yeah, even Kirby made that that comment apparently where he was like, "I could have done that." Yeah, like we would have won the football game. I understand that, but we got other games left down the road here. And my thing is, I'm just not one hundred percent sure that if we if we just roll with Becker Vandegrift to try get them experience to try get them ready, so when we potentially have a matchup in the SEC title game or hopefully God, you know, God willing in the incontrovertible playoff that those guys are ready to roll and our ceiling is higher offensively. I get that concept, but I'm just not hundred percent sure that if we did that, that Beck or Vandegrift would not cost us a game or maybe even two somewhere down the road. You know, that's, that's it's my kind of what concern. people, it's what people wish probably that we had done with field. Just go ahead and get him in there and go through his growing pains. So where at the end of the year, you you're using all he had done. I think that's probably what people wish we had done with them. So they're kind of projecting out saying, looking in hindsight, if we had used him more getting into the year, then he would have been ready to go. And that's what we need to do with these other guys. Yeah. I, and I, and I do understand that. I totally get that. I, I would just say that we got to get there first. You know, we, we just, we, and I, I think that, and like, I don't know what JT's health availability would be the rest of the year, but, I just think right now that Stetson Bennett gives us a better chance to win right now. And I'm hoping that he can just keep us afloat like he did last year until JT, for the most part, until we play BAM, obviously, but we don't have him on the schedule in the regular season, until JT does get fully healthy. And then our ceiling obviously goes up quite significantly once JT comes back. I just don't know, like going into Auburn, Curtis, 
do you do you would you feel comfortable with Brock Vandegrift or Carson Beck as the starting quarterback in, on the road against Auburn? I know Auburn's not great, but in that environment, you and I have been to some tough games there. Absolutely not, because you. Th- I mean, like I mentioned, you know, you saw some good, but also some bad by Vandegrift or uh, Beck against UAB, and in a game like that, I mean, you saw against Jake Fromm. That's probably the worst game he played his first year, and because the environment got to him, these things started not going well, and it just snowballed. snowballed. Yep, and look, we can't count the defense. Maybe they can't just shut everybody out, but you just can't count that. Put so much pressure on the defense, and you just don't want to make those kind of game change. Have a quarterback that's making those game changing mistakes that might even cost you a shot to potentially get into the SEC title game or the college football playoffs. So I think we're in good position right now, and I understand that Stetson doesn't have as high of a ceiling as all those guys. I get that, but I think right now, until JT's healthy, he gives us the best chance to stay afloat and win these football games and get to the point where we're still in contention for titles and we have JT hopefully back and ready, which would obviously elevate our ceiling at that point. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Um, all right, so we're uh, we're spending a lot of time on these quarterbacks. I know we've got a couple of questions about JT's health, Curtis. I'm just going to ask you real quick. This is a question from Guy. He says, I'm officially worried about JT's ability to stay healthy. Is this a random stream of injuries, or is it something about JT that makes it difficult for him to stay on the field? I think I don't think it's anything about him personally. Like this, is The thing, especially this lat injury, you, you see it in all, all sports, um, baseball predominantly but it's one of those things if they have an oblique injury and they kind of try to play through it which most people do because it, it hurts yep. but it's something you feel like you can push through then you have the ability to overcompensate which is exactly what jt did and hurt your lat and that's why in baseball and all these places usually when a baseball player feels any type of twitch in one of those muscles they're sat down, down. you know they're they're shut down for like two weeks literally nothing for two weeks and that's because they know it can re-aggravate and be a you know a lingering injury so no i don't think that i mean an oblique injury too can happen to anyone especially the way they lift weights they do all these things so no i don't think it's just a him i think it's a fact of it's a combination of the original injury the overcompensating and it's just that i mean it's the guy really is getting killed because of acl surgery and the fact that it you know it's a box well surgery. Let's just call it what it was. It's a box yeah, surgery. People people are taking out the fact that someone botched the surgery on the poor kid. It's not like he. It's just it's frustrating for him and for me and for us. It's just it, I I yeah, I, exactly. I, I, I think it's freak accident like freak situations. And it's just it's um it's very unfortunate, man. So I'm with you 100 percent there. I know that you know you get, people get labeled as like injury prone. And I don't even know if I believe I, – I think sometimes it just happens. Like if things get – now, maybe some people are more likely to get hurt. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a doctor. It just – I don't know. I've never really fully bought into that. I mean, so I think what happens is some people just take care of their bodies better than others, you know, and therefore they don't get some of those like those like those soft tissue injuries, things like that. 
but like an ACL thing, like that, that's that, can, that ha- literally happens to so many people every single year. That's not his fault. Now, you know, I think you're totally right. You got the oblique injury and then it kind of got compounded there with the lat. So I don't know. Like, I'm not a medical I mean, expert. You could, you could almost you could almost put the lat on the coaches and the, the training staff at the same time with the fact that they didn't just shut him down and let that heal. Um, the oblique heel instead allowed him to go out there and yeah. try to play through it. And I mean, realistically, you could even put them to blame for it because they, it, it, at the same time, they could have been like, no, we need to shut you down to make sure this doesn't happen. Like, it's not yeah. all on him either. Yeah, the, Kirby was actually, I don't know if you caught it, was pretty defensive about that in the post game press conference when he was asked about, I mean, he went on the offensive when he was asked about the quarterbacks, man, like he was ready for it and he just went off and he was, yeah, he, it was, it, I don't know. I can't remember who asked the question, but it, it, he was just like a unfortunate casualty of Kirby. Like you said, just sitting there ready to pounce. Yeah. He was ready to go. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Man. He, knew I, the, he knew it was coming. Let's be honest. Oh, he, no, Kirby's not an idiot. He, he knew that was coming. All right. Well, let's move off the quarterbacks and let's talk about the run game a little bit. We've got a couple questions about the run games coming from Alexander. Thank you, Alexander. He asked, uh, the, he, well, he says the running game really dominated this week. There were no personnel changes up front. What was different between this week and the prior games? Was it just Arkansas's unique front, which made it easier to run against, or did we do anything different? So, of course, I've been uh, questioning our ability to run the football. I've voiced my concerns there. Obviously, we looked really, really good running the football on Saturday. What did you see that was different? Well, all right, there were some personnel changes. I think it was only for a drive, but I actually thought. Um, Roger Jones did well when he was in there, so I do want to bring that up, that there was a little bit. Um, but the biggest thing was the way – I you know, I mentioned earlier when I was talking about with Stetson and things, um, Auburn was – I mean, Arkansas was susceptible to the run. And if you watched it every time, I think it was Trey Williams, he, he practically took – he blocked himself about 90% of the time. He would just take himself out of the play trying to jump the snap and get after the quarterback, and we'd run right by him. Yeah. Um, they, they really took for that in the stands. Yeah, they kept screaming, just Run a draw, run a draw, run a draw right at him. Exactly. Like, I mean, the thing is, they, this team was susceptible to the run. They literally gave us to run. Like, you know, there's other teams that we have to throw the ball because they're trying so desperate. Like, against you think about Mississippi State last year, we threw it, what, 50 times because they were selling out to stop the run. And this time, the way that defense is, they're kind of set up to stop the pass and make you beat them with the run, and that's what we did in this situation. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think their, their front is what I told you guys last week. I, I mean, it was obvious. If you watch how they play – you have to commit to the run game, all right? They're simply not going to give you anything vertically down the field. It's similar, it's a different structure, but very similar philosophically to what Clemson was doing to us. They were just simply not going to give us those plays, all right? They play like umbrella style defense with that three, two, six, and we have to run the football and we had to pull them out of it, which we did. Now, if if the game was closer, I think we would have taken more shots down the field when when we did four safeties in the box, but we didn't have to at that point. Why even risk it? So I think that certainly helped the fact that it was a very different, unique front that kind of just lended itself to run the football. But we also did some things schematically that I really liked. Uh, Some of it was minor things like shifting the backs before the snaps to kind of get their front off balance because they were setting their front to the back. They're playing back front. And we were able to kind of hit some of those bubbles by shifting back right before the snap and not giving them enough time to actually shift their front. And I, I really like the diversity in our running game. We showed a lot of different kind of runs. We had inside zone, there was outside zone, had some zone read. Actually, with the open the game was that's in the zone read. We actually ran some bash, like back away stuff where the line's blocking one direction and the back is uh, – takes the hand off and goes around the other end. Uh, we ran some counter ran some, We actually, even on the goal line, ran some old school ISO I formation stuff with Jalen Carter. So I really like the diversity of our running game. I thought we diversified it much more in this game than we'd seen throughout other parts of this season and the early parts of the season. 
So I think all those things kind of combine to allow us to be more successful up front. And honestly, the fact is that we just mauled them up front. I mean, it comes down to it. We were just bigger and more physical, and we actually got movement, which we hadn't been able to do consistently throughout this season to, to that point. Um, all right, sticking with the offensive line, Curtis, here for one more question. Cliff is asking, uh, the offensive line play was much improved in the run game. Is this an anomaly, or can we expect that kind of performance to continue? I think that's a very important question, Curtis. Can we expect that kind of play? Because if we can, from the offensive line, the run game, Everybody just needs to watch out. I think it really depends on how the defenses play us. Because if they're selling out to stop the run, it doesn't matter how many or how good your O-line is for the most part because the fact is it's still a numbers game. Um, so I think that has to be taken into account. But I still think that we there are stuff that we need to – some changes that we need to do, like Warner and people like that. I don't know if that's what we can continue to do all year and still play at this high of a level. I do agree with that. I mean, obviously, a big part of it, as we said, the last question was a function of how Arkansas was playing us and just that unique style of defense that they're playing, which is becoming more and more common. It's not common yet, but you see more and more teams do it. Iowa State's really kind of brought that into popularity with Matt Campbell. But that, I, I don't know if that necessarily is going to translate to, like you said, Curtis, the rest of the teams on our schedule. They're going to play us differently, more so like what UAB was doing, which is what we traditionally see. We see a lot of single high looks, which is going to end up being cover one or cover three when they roll safeties in the box because they know traditionally what does Georgia want to do? We want to run the football. We want to be physical. That's what we do. That's our identity. I think it's kind of changing a little bit this year. One thing I've really liked, and it's a small sample size, but Curtis, have you noticed how we've kind of adjusted our offense to do what we need to do to beat whatever team we're playing? Like, I don't think in the past we've had the ability to beat teams in different ways offensively. This year, I think that we can. Does that make sense? Yeah, like we're, we're the definition of taking what you're giving us. Exactly. I mean, look at UAB and how they played us, and we lit them up through the air, big play after big play. And then you have kind of the opposite philosophy with Arkansas, and we beat you a different way. So I think we have the ability to do that, even with Stetson, not as much with Stetson as with JT, but I think we have the ability to beat you in different ways, doing different things, depending on how you play us. So I think you're right, Curtis. It kind of just depends on how teams play us. But I, I, I did see things that I liked because, like I said earlier, we mauled them up front. We got some serious movement consistently against a good Arkansas run defense. It's not an elite Arkansas run defense, but a good Arkansas run defense, despite the scheme that they play. And I, I take heart in that. I that that's encouraging to me to see us get that kind of movement. Now, again, Auburn's going to play us differently this week. It's just going to happen. Get ready for it, guys. But I, I mean, Auburn's not great up front. Their linebackers are very fast and athletic, but they're not like physically dominant. I think we have a chance to get some movement again this week. I don't think we're going to run with as much success as we did against Arkansas. It's just a different kind of defense. But I did see some things that I liked. I saw us being more physical, that physicality, which I hadn't seen to this point in the year. So there are some things that guys are improving. Guys are kind of fitting in. They're juggling a little bit. Like you mentioned, Chris, I'm, I liked what I saw from Roger Jones. We'll see if he can kind of get worked in more and more into the fold and see if maybe he can move full-time as the permanent starting left tackle. We'll see. We're not there yet, but I think he's starting to trend in that direction. All right, Kurt, we've got a couple more that we can get to. We've got about 10 minutes or so. See how many we can get to. Let's go a little more rapid fire here. This question is from Paul. Thank you for the question, Paul. Paul says that there's two veteran players that have really stepped up their games this year, Lewis Seen and James Cook. He says he hasn't heard too much talk about them, but Cook has been running really hard between the tackles the past few weeks, and Seen has had a pass breakup in just about every game. Is there anyone else you think is a candidate for most improved players so far? What do you think, Kurt? I mean, I think there's no question. It's two, number two, number three on the inside linebackers. Also, you have to talk about Quay Walker. I mean, the guy's finally taking that huge step forward in the Channing Tindall. Um, you know, Lewis Seen and James Cook. I mean, James Cook's always been doing this. He's just getting more opportunities to do it. Yeah. I think it's the biggest thing because we always said, like, hey, we need to get the ball in his hands. Like, that's been our biggest problem with him. 
It's um, crazy that 12 carries on Saturday was his career high. That's crazy. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like him, it's just he's finally getting the, the opportunities. Yeah. Um, Lewisine, yeah, I mean, he's making these plays, um, but I don't think anyone can talk about not dis, not talk about those uh, those two guys at the inside linebacker position, in my, in my opinion. I think Tyndall will be the one that I would spot because I think Quay's been really good for a year or two now, but I think Tyndall's – I mean, Tyndall's a co-starter, essentially. I mean, you can only run out two guys at, at one time, but, I mean, Tyndall, he was in there the second drive of the game, and he's right in there. Uh, he's really, really worked himself in that rotation in a big way. He's not just kind of a, a role player. He's he's like almost a co-starter there. He's playing a ton. Um, I do like what I've seen from James Cook. And he's, the knock has always been on him, which I never really bought. I've kind of pushed back on that on this show a lot of times, is that he, quote-unquote, can't run between the tackles. Guys, he had 87 yards rushing on Saturday. 37 of those were after contact. That's the second highest after contact yardage total, uh, yak, I guess, at, of his career. 12 carries, career high. I think you're right, Chris. He's getting more opportunities. James Cook can run between the tackles. He's bulked up. He can do it better than he could earlier in his career. Now, is he going to run the kind of power as Zeus or Kendall Milton? No, but that doesn't mean that he can't run between the tackles. I was, always kind of thought that was a little bit of a misnomer. So those are two really good ones, Lewisine, James Cook. I like what you're going there, though, with Curtis McKay Walker, and I, I would certainly pinpoint Shane Tindall, in my opinion. Um, all right, Curtis, this is a question from Jonathan. He asked, from what you have seen, can you rate the confidence level you have in our offense on a scale of 1 to 10? So, for example, 10 being at the level of 2019 LSU offense, which Curtis was the best offense that I think I've seen, and 0 being the Vanderbilt 2020 offense. So where would you rank our offense, Kurt? Is it a 1 to 10? 1 to 10. 10 being LSU 2019, um, 0 being Vanderbilt. I'm going to go 7. I think the difference is wide receiver. We just don't have those big playmakers at the – that can you know take it to the house at any one place, which you saw with LSU. All right, let me ask you this. Let's take it one more step. Give me a score with JT, without JT. With JT, I'd actually put us at an eight. Without JT, okay. a five. Okay, so the seven's kind of an average. Okay. Yeah. With fully healthy, and I'm not including George here, but fully healthy, what we had coming into the year, or what we should have had. You've got Kiaris, you got JT, you've got Darnell, all those guys. I could see. Honestly, if A.D. Mitchell continues to come along with Bowers, with all those guys, I think it could be an 8. It's not going to be LSU, okay? It's not going to be a 10. I think it could be an 8 if we're hitting all cylinders. Now, with Stetson, I, I think maybe a little better than the 5, maybe a 6. I think we still have a lot of weapons. I, mean, I like what we have in the run game. Um, but, yeah, I think I, I think I would go 8 if we had JT. Uh, I'm with you there. All right, a couple more here, Curtis. This is uh, from our good friend Josh. Thanks for the question, Josh. Josh says that we need a silent assassin award on the show, Curtis which he defines as a player that's quietly doing amazing work, but who is not necessarily in the spotlight. Josh nominates Nolan Smith. So, Curtis, who would get your silent assassin award? I like this. I got to say, since he went with Nolan, I'm going to go Darion Kendrick. The guy has been making plays whenever the ball's around him. Um, he, and he brings an energy to the DBs also that um, you don't always see. And I, I kind of like just watching his energy out there. Yeah, that's a really good one. Like you don't hear many people talk about him. I think that's kind of a good thing to, when you're talking about cornerbacks because he's not giving up big plays. You know what I mean? Like he's doing his job. Yeah. He's doing what he's supposed to. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm gonna go with a guy who just won the SEC Defensive Lineman of the Week award, which uh, I don't know if he's under the radar if you just won that. But Devontae Wyatt, right, Curtis? I mean, talk about yeah, an unsung yeah. unsung player on that defensive line. We all always talk about Jordan Davis, obviously. We talk about Jalen Carvis. Jalen Carvis might be the best player on the team. But Devontae Wyatt is just so quietly doing everything that a lot of those guys are doing. I mean, I'm not going to say he's a first-round pick, but it wouldn't shock me to see him sneak up in the second round. Like that, He's a really, really underrated athlete at that position. He really is. I think he's doing big things, and just people aren't talking about it. But Nolan Smith's a good one, too. I like that, Josh. Nolan Smith, definitely. 
Uh, I think Nolan Smith's doing a great – he's playing great this year, man. Like, he's taking a huge step forward. So that's a good one. Uh, I like Devontae. I like Darren Kendrick. Those are all good ones. Uh, this might be the last one we get a chance to get to, guys. I'm really sorry uh, if we don't get to your question. But some of these I think that we can hold until next week, so we'll try to work those in next week for some of you that asked about some other teams. But uh, Jamie asked, Curtis, do you think this is the best performance from our secondary to date? think we're going to need them to step up in the Auburn game to get Bo Picks to get up some coverage sacks. So you think it was the best performance by our secondary, Kirk? No, I'd go the Clemson game. Uh, they were just blanketed everyone. Because uh, there was the, the times that it felt like that um, DJ actually had time, we were just blanketing him. And you saw some of those sacks being coverage sacks like, with him. There were some coverage sacks at Clemson game. But what about the pass interferences? Like that, that's the one thing I was like, mm, we weren't. Well, yeah, but I, I, the thing is they, they didn't really have as many opportunities this time to get that because Jefferson really – he just was not there. The what, Jefferson is, like, what, 15 times? Time? Yeah, and like some of those were not even close to being like completions. Like they were being thrown out of bounds and things. It felt like like yeah. the guy – there was no play on the ball. Well, that's what I told you guys. Like you could say that's good tight coverage. You could say it's good tight coverage, which I think it was, but the fact was he was just not there. Yeah, that's kind of what I felt like coming into the game is like if we stop the run, they were not going to be able to do anything. It's everything they do offensively is built off the run, especially in their passing game. And Traylon Burks is awesome at receiver, but KJ Jefferson is not an efficient passer. He he hit some big chunk plays that they set up off they set up off their run game. And if we stop the run game, they were not going to be able to do anything through the air. I mean, they only threw the ball up sixteen times. Well, let me make sure I'm saying that correct. I think it was I think they were like ten of sixteen overall in the game. Yeah, ten of sixteen overall in the game. Jefferson was eight of thirteen. Hornsby was two of three. So, I mean, yeah, secondary was great. We didn't give up really anything, and we held Traylon Burks completely in check, absolutely. But they also just didn't get that many opportunities. I mean, heck, they were hardly on the field at all. I mean, they had, like, just over 40 plays total. So, it was a really good performance. Um, I, and maybe you're, I, I would say it's right up there with Clemson. I, I think they're, they're very similar. We didn't have those pass interference that we had against Clemson, so maybe that was – but they also didn't throw the ball as much as Clemson did, so – uh, I think you can go with either one there. See, so do we have time for one more? No, we're running out of time. All right, guys. So, I'm, again, I'm really sorry that we didn't, we're not able to get to all these questions, but I think the other ones we're going to be able to hold for next week is we got some questions about Florida and Kentucky and even about Alabama. So, Trey, Trenton, we'll hold those questions. Reggie as well. I'm sorry, man. We'll hold those questions for later on uh, throughout the season. I promise we will get to those. But Curtis does have a late law school class to get to, so we got to go ahead and wrap this up and get out of here today. But I will be back tomorrow with our official Auburn game preview episode. And Charlie and I will wrap things up with our week six picks of the week. So still plenty of great content coming your way the rest of the week. Thank all of you for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>